0: I'm David Katneys, and this is Too Close to Call, the podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. Congressman Seth Moulton is a Democrat from Massachusetts who serves on the House Armed Services Committee. He's also been to Ukraine. So I wanted to talk to him about the big funding debate about to take over Washington for the next month over how much we should be spending in that foreign war. We also talk about impeachment and some politics the politics of joe biden and 2024 here is congressman seth moulton on the too close to call podcast thanks for listening i wanted to start and because of your service as a veteran because of your perch on the house armed service committee I wanted to focus this conversation on the funding fight in Ukraine. It seems like that there will be a fight, that that will consume a lot of Congress's attention in the fall over how much military spending and aid there will be delivered to Ukraine. You've said that we must stand with the Ukrainians until they win. We're at 18 months now in this war. How long is it going to take for them to win?
1: Well, we don't know. I mean, wars take a long time. Look at how long we spent in Iraq and Afghanistan. No one wants it to last that long. And it's one of the reasons why it's so important that we deliver a lot of aid now. But obviously, we would love to see this end as quickly as possible on all sides. But I mean, is there I mean, people are
0: starting to evoke Afghanistan, how far we were, you know, how, how long that took. There's reporting that the counteroffensive hasn't gone as well as is being widely reported in in mainstream press. I mean, is this something that could take more than a decade?
1: Look, I don't personally think it'll uh, take more than a decade to get you know to a reasonable conclusion here. Um, but the morality of the situation doesn't change. I mean, Russia has started a criminal war. And we have every moral obligation in the world to stand with the Ukrainians, no matter how long it takes. But the other thing that we all need to understand is that what happens in Ukraine and what we're willing to do to support Ukraine has a huge effect on our national security all around the globe. There's no one who's watching our support for Ukraine more closely than Xi Jinping in China. And when he makes the calculation about whether to start a war over Taiwan, a potential World War III that would consume tens of thousands of young American lives, he's looking at whether we, along with other Western democracies, are willing to stand up to Vladimir Putin and ensure Ukraine has victory in Putin's illegal war. So what we need to understand is that, yes, there's a compelling moral obligation to continue doing what we're doing and for many people that's enough but there's also a very hard national security calculation why it is in our absolute best interests all around the globe to ensure victory in ukraine
0: and that means as long as it takes that that could be 10 years 20 years
1: well look it could be 10 years or 10 year, or 20 years dave I don't think it will take that long but it is directly proportional to how much aid we provide. I mean there's no question that if this goes down to a trickle under republican pressure to cut back on aid then the war will take longer. You've also been critical
0: of the Biden administration and their handling of this war. You've said that they need to do more. Do you still believe that or have they met your expectations on As far as funding and aid for Ukraine.
1: Well, look, I'm an equal opportunity bipartisan critic here. I just try to speak the truth, especially about issues where lives are on the line. And my specific criticism of the Biden administration has been that they haven't moved quickly enough. I think that they've actually done all the right things. It's just often taken them too long to get around to doing them. And that's been consistent uh, from the very beginning, even before the conflict began. I went to ukraine a few months before war broke out and i wrote a piece in the wall street journal about how we needed to be more aggressive in deterring and preventing conflict rather than just thinking about how we might respond so all along the biden administration has come to the right conclusions and actually been really smart and savvy about how to fight this war to ensure ukraine's success without provoking a larger war with russia but I do think they've often just taken a little bit too long to make decisions. And you see this with numerous examples. They're they're providing F-16s now. Uh, it's been a long time coming. They provided tanks at the end of the day after an awful lot of back and forth and, and bickering and internal deliberations. Even more controversial decisions like providing them uh, these cluster munitions, which nobody likes. Uh, as an infantryman myself, I don't want to step on an unexploded bomblet. Uh, but there's a very compelling moral reason to give Ukraine this tool that they need to win on their own territory, You know, where they're calculating the risk of having unexploded bomblets there down the road. And it took a long time to get to the point where they were actually delivered.
0: Do you think if they moved faster that the Ukrainians would be having more success in their counter- counteroffensive against Russia right now?
1: Well, in certain places, yes. I mean, Look, if Ukraine had been able to start its counteroffensive sooner, then the Russians would have been less dug in. And what we're seeing now is the Russian defenses are more established than we, I think, were hoping. I I, I maybe anticipated, but at least we're hoping, right? But for months, the Russians have been stuck in one place, digging deeper, laying more minefields. And if they had had less time to do that, the Ukrainians would have had an easier time breaking through. The White House wants
0: twenty four billion dollars on top of about one hundred and twenty eight billion that has already been delivered. Is that the right number that they have settled on for this additional military allocation?
1: One thing we've learned sitting on the House Armed Services Committee is that when administration officials come in and brief us in a classified setting, Again, we often have criticisms about how quickly they're moving, but they are very thoughtful about how they're making these calculations and determinations. So we'll scrutinize that number in further classified meetings this fall. But my intuition is that it's probably about right.
0: I find it fascinating that the parties have sort of switched their traditional posture on American intervention, right? It's now the Democratic Party. For 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 the most part, that is. Become more of an interventionist party in global affairs because of Trump and the Republican Party sort of retreating, whereas just, you know, 20 years ago, that would have flipped with, you know, John McCain on one side and Barack Obama on the other side. I I remember the 2008 election. Why do you think that has occurred? In the last 20 or so years where the parties sort of have switched their their overall position on international affairs?
1: Well, it's a good question, Dave, but I would argue uh, that more mainstream Democrats have actually remained in the very same place. And uh, we've always been thoughtful about intervention, uh, careful uh, to get involved, but willing to do so when it's in the interest of our national security. What's happened uh, are the polls have changed. So, so many people in the Republican Party have just started catering to the extremists in on the right who have always been isolationists, who have always not wanted to spend any dollars overseas uh, no matter what for. And at the same time, because of the broader implications of Ukraine and the terrible uh, just moral angst that we all feel seeing so many innocent people being subjected to vladimir putin's criminal wrath the left in the democratic party the left that usually is opposed to all wars has just been more quiet uh with regards to ukraine
0: and that is because why are they being more quiet
1: well they're being more quiet because they recognize the moral imperative to help these people who are being uh you know attacked by war criminal vladimir putin in this criminal war So, so in other words Uh, It's really mainstream or more moderate Democrats who are driving the policy here. A lot of moderate Republicans agree with us, but politically, they're playing to the far right, which is super isolationist. And meanwhile, in the Democratic Party, uh, the mainstream moderates are really holding sway over the left wing extremists uh, who are often just anti uh, war in every regard. Uh, Without realizing that sometimes you need to support others in a war or fight small wars to prevent bigger wars in the future.
0: You also have proposed a bill that would cut $100 billion in wasteful Pentagon spending. Square that for me. How much is being wasted in
1: Ukraine? Well, actually, there's enormous uh, effort being put into accountability, not just by us, but by the Ukrainians themselves for all the weapons that they send. Why? Because they know that if there's any scandal about how U.S. weapons are used or American dollars are misspent, then they risk cutting off all of our support. And so when I went to Kiev last, we went through this, I mean, really tire, tiresome uh, series of presentations about all the accountability systems that they have in place uh, to ensure that our taxpayer dollars are actually being well spent on the ground. But most of my criticisms about Pentagon spending have been right back here at home, where too often uh, lawmakers in Congress direct money to big, old, heavy, expensive and manpower intensive weapon systems that are just outdated for today's conflict. Why? Because they preserve jobs in their districts. So if you're a home port for an aircraft carrier with several thousand sailors on board, then you want to see that aircraft carrier continuing to go out to sea. Despite the fact that it's really just a big target for Chinese missiles, we need to come to terms with that and make some much more thoughtful cuts to our defense budget, not only so we get rid of old things that are outdated, but so we have the money to invest in newer, more sophisticated and often less expensive weapon systems that will provide a better deterrent uh, in the future.
0: Conservatives are already signaling that they want money for the border, the southern border in order to greenlight the Ukraine funding. Is that a fair deal?
1: No, it's not, because the deal that we should have for immigration is very simple. And the reason it doesn't happen is pure politics. The deal is 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 clear. We need to increase border security and we need to provide a pathway to citizenship for people to come here legally. Of course, the first part is what Republicans emphasize, border security. The second part is what Democrats tend to emphasize. But most Americans want both. And that's a very simple deal that we need to have to reform immigration, improve border security, and provide a pathway to citizenship for all the people that are here, that we want to remain here, and that, frankly are important for our economy. Immigration has always been a critical driver of the United States economy. And one of the reasons why uh, a lot of restaurants in in New England are closed on Sundays and Mondays this summer is because they simply don't have the staff to fill those jobs. That immigration deal should be entirely separate from any other national security concerns like what we're doing in China or what we're doing uh, for Ukraine. I mean, The reality is that we don't get a deal done on immigration because the Republicans make so much hay out of complaining about the problem, yet refusing to do anything about it. Let's not forget that when Donald Trump, this great guy who came in and said that he was going to solve all the immigration problems by just building a wall and everything else, when he was president, he had Republican control of the House and the Senate, and yet they didn't pass any immigration reform.
0: What's the toughest challenge Congress is going to have to resolve this fall?
1: Well, the most immediate challenge is uh, a government shutdown brought on by the far right extremists who essentially control Kevin McCarthy in the House.
0: But that and never far, happens, right? The shutdown never actually happens. We we write this story and we put the drumbeat, but there always is a resolution,
1: right? There's usually a resolution at the last minute. Dave, this could be the exception. I mean, these these folks really? are so extreme. I think so. Okay, And I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. But what I hear is that, number one, the extremists, they don't care about keeping the government open. They don't care about our national security. They don't care about whether people get their food stamps or anything else. All they care about is making a political point. But in the end, most of
0: them, even the hardline conservatives vote for a deal. I mean, there's always a few holdouts. But I've been in D.C. since 2010, and I've written and read so many shutdown stories, and it To me, it sort of fills a vacuum of distraction for other issues and that it never actually happens and that it's a great political issue. I think Democrats love to use it for the most part against Republicans, but it's actually not going to happen is that's just my perception. I don't know.
1: Well, first of all, Dave, you've been in D.C. longer than me, so you probably know this better than I do. But my concern is that, yes, you're right. There's always the majority of people vote to get us out of a shutdown, but there are already always a few holdouts. But the problem is those few holdouts are the extremists in the party who control Kevin McCarthy right now. And so I think that that, that McConnell is not going to want to shut down. I think that a lot of Republicans in the House are not going to want to shut down. But as long as the people who have a stranglehold on, on Kevin McCarthy's speakership are willing to put us into a shutdown, we could very well find ourselves there. And that's my concern. I hope I hope you're right and I'm wrong, but I'm worried.
0: Okay, a couple political questions before we wrap. How pumped are you for a second term of Joe Biden?
1: Look, if you if you look at his accomplishments, it's extraordinary. I mean, he's one of the most accomplished presidents that we've had in a long time. Uh, Why don't problem, the polls reflect course, that, though? What's you that?
0: Know, the polls don't really reflect that. You know, he's know, middle, you didn't, middling you didn't in the ask 40s me about
1: the polling. You asked me. Okay. About how I feel, right? And as a lawmaker who wants to actually get in made into law and changes for the country, I I think that's great. We want a productive president. I mean, I don't have to I don't I don't need the most brilliant speaker or the most articulate debater. I want a president who can get things done, and that's what Joe Biden has proved he's able to do.
0: How much of a problem is Hunter Biden going to be for his father and How much fodder is he going to provide for Republicans on the Hill this
1: fall? Well, every time Republicans have been asked, you know, what's the smoking gun? Where when are we going to see the evidence? They've not been able to come up with anything. In fact, they don't even tell you at this point that there is going to be something. So there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of substance here. But are they going to try to make political hay of it? Absolutely. Are they going to rake the president over the coals? Absolutely. What I'm hoping is that most Americans can see through that and recognize that Hunter Biden clearly has his problems and the president is actually being very forthright and having them addressed by the Justice Department. And he's also being very clear about how he loves his son. And as a father myself, that's that's something that I can certainly understand.
0: You think James Comer is acting in good faith on the House Oversight Committee, providing oversight of the administration?
1: No, I don't. I think he's just trying to make a name for himself by uh, coming up with uh, with uh, political attacks on the president. And, And we've seen him several times talk about how he's got this great star witness and, oh, just wait a few more days and we'll have the smoking gun. And he's never come up with anything.
0: All right, Congressman, thank you very much for chatting with me. Appreciate it. All right, Dave. Thank you.